Okay, welcome to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. My name is Paul, I'm your host today, and today we're excited and honored to have, <laughs> even though Robert may not say this, uh, Robert Simpson <laughs> Thank with you, us. Paul. It's Thank uh, Robert uh, is a doctor and runs the Utah Medical Medicine, Addiction Medicine. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and that's in Sugar House, I believe. Yeah, yeah. We have an office in in Sugar House, and um, recently had uh, one in Provo, but had to have a rather dramatic restructuring. So currently, we're in we're in uh, a traumatic in Sugar restructuring. House. <laughs> um, Did that require therapy for it, for everyone involved? Um, I haven't got to the point that I'm open to therapy yet. <laughs> Oh, but, but I'll well, let you know. You'll like this show. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still in the angry phase. Okay. Oh well, the grief process. Okay. Well, that you. Well, good. I'm glad you. You know. Then that means you've probably gotten through the denial. Possibly. Oh, I definitely got through yeah. the denial. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I'm really excited to have Robert here today. Um, I'm excited that he's going to tell his story. Um, about uh, how he got here and, and how why I mean I use this term Robert and I mentioned this to you before the you know what makes you just another bozo on the bus so um, in the coming weeks uh, we've got uh, Melanie Tackett up I think next week and then uh, Lisa Vwig will be up as well who um, has been around for oh my gosh I, I worked with Lisa back in at Journey in the early in the wow. early eighties oh, no two thousand sorry yeah eighties that was a different decade uh, I was doing other things back then well I'm 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 honored to be in such company and <laughs> thank you for having me yeah got, glad you'd be here so um, if you uh, would like to kind of get us rolling a little bit tell us a little bit about uh, your life and. Where things got kind of got started for you, uh, people may notice uh, that uh, you're probably not from Utah. Yeah, yeah. I was I was born in the UK, and uh, and I lived there. Um, my parents lived there until uh, I was about eleven, and then um, they moved. Of all places to Texas, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I I went to this school. I'll not mention the name just in case um, someone is listening from. <laughs> you don't want to hurt it. <laughs> from Saint Mark's School of Texas. Oh, I did it. Um, you don't want to hurt the innocent, right? Uh, and uh, <laughs> protect the innocent, right? Yeah. So we 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 got to you know bloody texas and i'm like um i'm not happy about the move at all and you go to this school that's full of um you know fairly conservative um texas uh folk <laughs> and uh like ross perot's children of of all of all things really yeah um and it just so happened that we were studying the uh, Revolutionary War when we got there. And from from England's perspective, um, you know, we were really fighting the French at that time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, for, uh, of for course, those tricky French, right? The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the immediate position that was taken was that uh, somehow I was directly responsible for... <laughs> Um, you know the madness of King George, and uh, and um, a lot of bullying started. Oh I mean, it was really, it was really nasty. It was a horrible, horrible experience. Um, and um, I'd actually started smoking at a really early age because in England, if you can reach over the counter and you know put your cash on the table right, then, right. then you can have a pack of ciggies well I, I i just quick i used to i've told people this story too before is that i think i was seven or eight and i went yeah. down to the, the pharmacy actually and i grew up in uh, connecticut and i i, I handed the the pharmacist who sold cigarettes yeah. which you know yeah, I've always found that fascinating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three doctors right, recommend them. Right, right, right. That was it. And I handed him the one. I said, my mom sent me down for a carton of cigarettes. And he said, no problem. Just handed them to me. Yeah. You know, five bucks. Right. <laughs> there you go, kid. Yeah, there you go, kid. Say hi to your mom for <laughs> Don't me. Don't smoke them all at once. <laughs> so Different times. Um, yeah. So it, that was a tough uh Period. I I think I actually managed to fail at least one grade there, um, and um, it's kind of interesting looking back. And even when I was at school in England, at, from a very young age, I I didn't perform well academically at all. And 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 English school system being the kind nurturing system it is. Um, I can remember my third grade schoolmaster saying, Simpson, you're a lazy, stupid boy. <laughs> and, uh, and so I sort of accepted that story that I, I kind of, I was just lazy and stupid. The narrative, the narrative was set. It, it, it turns out that, um, you know, when you have dyslexia and, and dysgraphia and things like that, it, it does make it more difficult to uh, get schoolwork done, um, but that wasn't really thought about in the you know early seventies very much. So so I, I go to St Mark's and I'm getting pretty fed up. And um, I, one day I'm not what, sure what possessed me to do it, but I just decided to walk into the school smoking. Um, and you mean you were you you were lit? You had a cigarette lit up when yeah. you, you were smoking. Mm. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, clearly that that was noticed and and frowned upon. And <laughs> and given yes, kind of, I can imagine all of the other <laughs> factors, um, I I was um, I think formally asked to leave, but there wasn't really an option to say. I'd rather stay. <laughs> so I think they call it being expelled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... Um, well, expelled is you, you, you can't come back. <laughs> you, you weren't suspended, you were expelled. Oh, yeah. It was a permanent condition. And, uh, and so I wanted to go back to England. I mean, you know... Um, did you feel, I mean, you said you were being bullied and being blamed on the revolutionary, you were the, you, you were blamed for the revolutionary war. Um, I'm assuming that, I mean, how did your parents, you know, deal with this? Did They must have known that. Well, they clearly knew that there was trouble. Um, 
But really, I mean, my my parents were kind of oblivious to my emotional state. I mean, understand, I, I, I this is not blaming my my, no. my parents had both had very tough childhoods. They they had both grown up during the Blitzkrieg in London, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know they they were tough, stoic people. And so they just sort of took the position, sorted out. You know? Yeah, this um, is something you you can figure out. Yeah, um, <laughs> we, we've done ours. So I thought <laughs> learning to fight better was kind of the way you did that. So, um, so yeah, there was very little kind of um, investigation into any of that. Um, and so when I was expelled, they said, well, what do you want to do? And and I said, well, I want to go back to England. And so um, I wound up, it's kind of a long story, I, probably not that useful to get into, but I, I I wound up going back to boarding school in, in England, in North London, mm-hmm. a school called Harrow, which... Was um, quite well known because uh, Winston Churchill, who was was um, widely considered to be the most stupid boy in the school, um, <laughs> uh, had, had famous been, said had, that was one of had one been of the there, things. right? <laughs> and so, um, just to set the tone for this one, um, I was on the plane and the duty free car came round, and I. I bought a couple of cartons of fags um, for, sorry, English terminology. No, no you, can say, cigarettes. you can say that. <laughs> um, uh, and a couple of bottles of scotch. And, and how, how and old I, were you at this time, Robert? So now I'm probably 12, 13, perhaps. And um, I told them, of course, I was buying them from my grandparents, mm-hmm. which they thought was very sweet you, I mean, you are you are a nice young what man. a lovely child yes and um so i arrived at harrow with you know two cartons of cigarettes and a couple of bottles of scotch and um got off to a great start um <laughs> and uh remained there for a fairly short period of time too. Um, I was sort of in this weird world now where, you know, I went back to Harrow and I'd been in, in the States long enough that they called me a Yank, you know. and Seriously? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I didn't fit anywhere. I didn't really have family supports there. And um, Your parents are still in Texas. Parents are point. in Texas. Yeah. I had grandparents, but... None of them were particularly interested in, in um, you know, uh, visiting or what have you. And it was a very strict school. I mean, it, it, I, I wish I had been able to stay because I think the education that mm-hmm. was on offer would have been, you know, really lovely. But I just, I just couldn't, and I was fighting a lot, and which had become sort of the mo. And uh, drinking, and I fell in with that crowd, and started smoking hashish, and um, 
Well, were you popular with some with some people there because you yeah you had the you had the the, the cigs and you had the I had four, the, the whiskey or whatever. I had four scotch. or five lads who you know we were all in this game together, and then the the other great thing about it was that um, it was a fairly easy building to climb out of the house that I lived in, and so once lights out happened, um, I popped out the window and climbed down the drain pipe, and mm-hmm. we'd meet and get on the tube and go into London. And stay in London until we could catch the tube back to Harrow and arrive back. And um, so, you know, great times were had um, <laughs> until I was trying to get back in one night and the drain pipe came off the wall. Yeah. And um, and it, it was it was noticed and um, and once again I was um, I was asked to uh, pack my bags. So how, how long of a period of this was from the time you had arrived or you know left Texas and then you were so asked to leave again? A couple of years. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 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 going pretty well. Mm. You know there there were. There were signs of trouble early on. Uh, so you're, you're about 14 this time, then, somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm probably... I'm, um, you know, I think I'm probably 15 by now. Hmm. Um, and I get back to the States, and then I get in some trouble with the law because I borrowed somebody's car that wasn't mine that had the keys in it. And I really was just going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Um but I was driving in the middle of the night without my lights on because I didn't realize you needed to turn them on. And um, <laughs> uh, and I, was, I made the mistake of trying to run away from the Dallas Police Department, which, if any of you are considering that, don't. They, <laughs> they, they frown upon they it. They frown upon that. And they tend to respond in a very aggressive manner. Um, so there was that. And my parents said, uh, what is wrong with you? I mean, I can... <laughs> the, 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 the basic question that gets asked right. of adolescents who, this, have, who seem to have gone down the wrong path. There was this <laughs> moment where my father, bless him, and my father was a lovely guy, but he was, he was, he was a force of nature and could, could go in either direction. Um <laughs> And I, I have this vivid recollection of him picking me up from the jail after this stolen car incident. And he said, I don't know if you're autistic or retarded or schizophrenic or just fucking stupid. So I laid out all these diagnoses. And I sort of thought, well, does it have to be one? You know? <laughs> Because <laughs> I really didn't know either. I mean, I, you know, I had no clue what was going on. And well, it's probably on some level. I mean, some of it seemed normal, but did you did you also have any awareness that this probably some of these choices were not? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, much of this was intentional. I mean, it was just rebellion. I mean, okay. I, I don't know if I was just kind of born with that in my in my in my bone marrow or, mm-hmm. or what but i mean it, 
clearly was, you know, revolution um, of my own. Um, and so they said, well, what school could we send you to that you would not get thrown out of? <laughs> and I said, well, well, how about the local, you know, the local public school, which was Woodrow Wilson High School in East Dallas. And it was a fascinating place coming from Harrow where we would wear tailcoats and boaters and tie, you know, ties every day. I think uh, Woodrow Wilson was actually the first high school in um, the, in Texas at least to have metal detectors on the door. Uh, it was a third black and a third Mexican and a third white. And, um, and there was a huge amount of racial tension and lots of gang activity and bit of a powder keg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Um, but I, it, it was, it was, it was actually enjoyable for me cause I got along with everybody. I mm -hmm. got along with the black guys cause I, uh, I ran track and played football, your kind of football. I tried anyway. I wasn't <laughs> much good, but I played rugby. So, um, <laughs> Well, I grew up playing soccer, so I mean, yeah. I know it was yeah. uh, in Connecticut that that was a very that was a very popular sport in my youth, which is the seventies. Yeah, late, you know, and that that seemed like everyone was doing, doing right. soccer, and not everyone called it soccer either. But you know, in that area, yeah, but the rest of the country where my kids grew up here, yes, everything's soccer. You know, yeah, everything's soccer. Yeah, um, and I got I got along with the Hispanic kids because I because I played football soccer and um they used to call me weirdo because i was the only white kid on the team really um yeah it was all it was all hispanic kids and 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 weirdo and um i can i can actually to this day play football fluently in spanish um nice. so yeah no so i learned things there um and um you know, I kind of migrated once again towards the, um, you know, the, the, the more troubled white children. <laughs> and uh, so I was there about a year and a half and um, it was pretty clear that there wasn't much academic benefit to my being there. Uh -huh. And um, once again you know, causing social troubles. Um, so you were still smoking, drinking, and doing other other things? Yeah, actually, by this time, I think I'd, <clears throat> I had some friends who were a bit older who were doing cocaine, which um, which which I enjoyed quite a lot. And um, so it was decided that maybe they best, you just graduate me early mm -hmm. and... And um, I'm not sure how, but it, the test you took at the time was the SAT. I don't know if kids even do that anymore. They, they still, but it's, you know, ACTs, SCTs, those are still going on. Mm. But they're not, they don't have the weight that they used to. Um, so somehow I did well enough on that to automatically go to the University of Texas in Austin. Wow. Um, and... So, so you, you you actually, I mean, you weren't stupid. Then. <laughs> well, it turns out that t that option appeared to be less likely. I mean, it could have been luck. Um, 
Luck is that is, is, is an unknown elixir, as far as I can tell. Because <laughs> somehow it'll it'll turn some. It's almost uh, it's almost like an alchemical transmutation. It'll turn something you know from lead to gold, just like that, right? Right. That's luck. <laughs> um. So so off I go to UT, and and I'm still 16, I think. So I was young to be going down there, and I was going to play football down, soccer down there. And um, but I uh, I didn't manage to make it to any of the you know classes or uh, <laughs> soccer practices. So um, I. Uh, Your schedule was already full. I was busy. Um, <laughs> you know, the Grateful Dead would come to town fairly often, and there'd be all these things in Hippie Hollow, and you know, dropping acid and various psychedelic substances, and and yeah, I just didn't have time for it. So, um, so um, I flunked out, and. Um, and that ended my academic career for um, some time. Um, the um, the other thing that was complicated about this was that I, at fifteen, I had met up with this woman who was uh, twenty, and um, and we had a uh, we had a we had a, a, a daughter, Andrea. Who is you were fifteen, mm. and she was twenty. Mm. Yeah, and um, me too. <laughs> right? Can I right. say that? Yeah, you can say that. Right? Yeah. Um, so it does go both ways, but um, so uh, you know, I was obviously fairly ill prepared for that, um, and. Um, I sort of went on a bit of a walkabout for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would work various jobs. Um, I, you know, construction things. I worked in the oil field in, you know, Midland and up in the Panhandle. And um, I even had a stint in um, the uh, carnival. Um, putting up rides and what have you, and getting drunk with the midgets. Which was was, was this a, a traveling uh, carnival? Yeah, yeah, it went around you know, Texas, Louisiana, mm-hmm. Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma, all very enlightened spots. And um, but it was it was great fun. I mean, um, <laughs> but I needed jobs that oh, um, I. I could uh, not provide a social security number because I had this existing legal trouble and I created some more. um, Social security numbers are more legal trouble. (laughs) Right. No, no. (laughs) Or both. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, at least it can be tracked. So I I just needed jobs that I could be paid in cash. Yeah, you could be paid in cash and and, and no, no, no worse for the wear, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. And so um, they came back to to Dallas, and and I met up with this fellow who was a um, he was a very wealthy real estate guy who had you know gobs of cocaine, um, 
like, you know, sort of quarter pounds of cocaine that he, you know, didn't know quite what to do with. Um, and I had very good ideas about what to do with it. Um, was he he was a user or, or not? Um, I don't know if he did or not, but if he was, it was sort of a, you know, tooting a little line here okay. and there. Yeah, right. Um, okay. And I by this time had a lot of friends in, in fairly low places. And um, <laughs> so I, I knew exactly uh, how to manage that situation for him and, um, and started um, doing these fairly large cocaine transactions. You know, at 17, 18, thinking I'm a gangster of some right. sort, yeah. dealing with people who really were like, you know, biker gangs and, and the lot. And um, uh, that is a fascinating age to be, I mean, to swing into something or, you know, find yourself in the midst of a culture that, you know, especially where there's a, a an underlying level of violence within a culture, uh, especially in any forms of the drug culture, but especially when it gets into uh, the distribution um, oh yeah, there's a whole that that world in there is really different. And being young and kind of, I don't know if the word naive is correct, Robert, but um, at least maybe not knowing the ways through you're the, a, the, the criminal environment. At eighteen, like you're a child. Yeah, you know. Right. I mean, really. unless you grow up in that environment, all, then and it seems normal. I mean, I, I have clients uh, at the center that you know, grew up in the, in the, in a crime family. And yeah. they, they, they just seemed all, all that seems normal to them. Isn't right. that what everybody does, right. you know? Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, no, this was, I mean, it was fascinating. Um, but I mean, I was walking around with a pistol in my jeans and, and selling, you know, ounces of cocaine to, you know, biker gangs and, and, it, there was this horrible sort of, you know, freebasing thing that was going on at the time <sighs> and getting in some terrifying situations that there's there's that film Boogie Nights. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, I've it. seen it, yeah. yeah. And there's this awful scene with this guy who's freebasing and and I would go in. I, I, I still can't watch that scene because I, I walked it in. It triggers you. I yeah. walked into that house so many times. Uh-huh with all of these tweaked out guys and and um so i started shooting a, a lot of coke i went very quickly from sniffing cocaine mm-hmm. to injecting it um and not in a casual way um it it you know literally i i would um i was always a bit of a loner and i I literally would check into a motel room with, you know, a large amount of coke and a few bags of needles, and I would just Mm -hmm. shoot cocaine for days on end Mm -hmm. until it was gone. Right. And, um, I mean, at this juncture, I'm generating enormous amounts of money and buying all sorts of silly things... Um, and 
Yeah. All of a sudden, you you, you have all this this expendable cash that you can use. And so you start buying things that don't probably today seem a little irrational. Well, yeah. And then I'd leave them somewhere, you know. (laughs) Oh, shit. I, I mean, you know, motorcycles and cars and all sorts of stuff. And um, and I just go on these ridiculous jags. Um, and I got um, you know, got in pretty bad shape. I mean, there was a period during that time where, you know, I I I I weigh about a hundred and eighty pounds, and there was a period where I I got into the one thirty. Oh yeah, that's that's small. And um, I was emaciated. I. I I finally ripped this chap off, you know, um, because it had become more important for me to shoot cocaine than sell it. Um, That's a, that is a transition. Yeah. And not that, I mean, and addicts don't make great dealers anyway. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's some rules about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're supposed to be anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. And then somebody, one night, uh, you know, I was I was just. Um, Any contact with your parents at this point? No, I lost contact. Um, you know, it was difficult. I I don't I don't want to place blame on my parents. Yeah. No, I, because I you know, I know absolutely they did the best they could, and that I was extremely difficult for them and they really didn't know what to do mm-hmm. and they I remember they sent me to the psychiatrist at one point who wanted to ask me like how many times I was jacking off a day <laughs> and I just ref- you know that's kind of the opening thing and seriously yeah. and I I just refused to speak to him mm-hmm. you know and so I think he diagnosed me as being bipolar or something well um, cocaine abuse um does come off that way it, i mean it could, it could look a bit that was that that's that was my drug of choice was was cocaine and huh. i was diagnosed um by bipolar you can certainly reach both poles with it <laughs> pretty quickly. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't too much mania, but when it was there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't mean to dr- uh, carry on this drunkalog. I'm, it's not, okay. I'm not sure how interesting it is for, <laughs> for anybody. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, at one point, I had, uh, this young lady said, I mean, I clearly had been up for much too long and was mildly psychotic. And um, she said, here, l- let me just help you out. And she shot me up with uh, Dilaudid. And um, and I I decided I liked that even better. Mm-hmm. Actually, I like the two together most, but really I liked opiates. And it was like um, that was the beginning for me of 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 opiates. Um, and, and how old are you about this time, Robert? I'm maybe twenty. Okay. Um, and uh, opiates w- weren't as easy to get then as they are now um it was it was kind of interesting i i quickly began 
um, using heroin. And at that time, the heroin was all really run by uh, black folks. Mm -hmm. And that sort of transitions... Um, you know, at the end of the 90s, um, turn of the century. Um, but in order to get heroin then, you really had to go to neighborhoods that white people were not welcome. Um, and I, or inst- and stood out. <laughs> and, and stood out for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, there was it was not just kind of the the, the drug. I I loved the culture. Mm-hmm. I loved the hustle. Um, you you romance the the culture and and some of that culture, um, yeah, as much as you did the drug is what I'm, I'm hearing you and say. And it was. I mean, it, this is going to sound really peculiar, but I actually had. Um, dealers who I became like close enough with mm-hmm. that they they say to me I had long hair at the time they called me ponytails and they said ponytails you're not looking so good today you you need to come you need to come inside the crib for a minute and fix you know mm-hmm. and I'd go in the house and fix and you know and then they'd say you're hungry you know and they'd feed me and mm-hmm. I'd you know, fall out on the floor and I'd wake up with a blanket on me. You know, I mean... Right. These people... They were caring for you, actually. They were actually very sweet yes. to me. I mean, this, I know this probably sounds absurd. No, but they, I, they no, were it, lovely. It, it doesn't, I, actually. There was something yeah. about it that mm-hmm. really resonated with me. Um, and I... They brought you into their tribe is basically how I see that. They accepted you That's into an that. interesting view. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never thought of it like that. I remember once being really junk sick and driving, having my having to have my wife. I mean, I could drive being really junk sick, uh, junk sick. But this time I was so bad I couldn't drive. And uh, when all else failed, I had this friend, old junkie Ben, who used to you know, be able to just cut for me quickly on the corner and I needed to do something fairly quickly. And Junkie Ben looked in my car and he saw my missus driving the car. And he said, who's that? And I said, that's my wife. And he said, get out of the car, boy. Man, I got out of the car and he slammed me up against the car and he said, don't you ever disrespect that woman like this. Oh. Don't you ever bring that woman down here. She's got no business being down here. If you're dumb enough to bring your white ass down here, then that's your business. But don't you ever do this to her again. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And uh, He was schooling you. Junkie Ben schooled me. <laughs> um, Thinking you should, on some level, he must have thought you should have known better than... He did. I mean, yeah. he was an older gen. Yeah. I mean, he was he was probably in his 60s, mm-hmm. and there aren't that many 60-year-old junkies. No, and, no, it's true. And, um, but, you know, there was, it, it was, it was a, it was a, a culture that I enjoyed, and, um, and I had a bad heroin habit for mm-hmm. a, a, a long time. 
Gotcha. Uh, and then I finally got back to school. I, um, I had sort of reconciled with my parents. Um, I had got interested in photography and I went back to school for a photography course and um, just to junior college. Mm-hmm. Well, we're about back in Texas. Mm-hmm. This okay. is in Dallas. Yeah. Okay. Richland junior college. And, um, yeah, I still had a ferocious dope habit, but, um, I started doing coursework and then I think my dad bet me that I couldn't pass an English class. Interesting. He challenged you. Yeah. He gave you the challenge. He did. Yes. I think he bet me, you know, I don't think it was a significant, <laughs> you know, amount, but it was sort of the, I bet you can't do it. Yeah. And I was like, did he put a financial I'll teaser show you. in there? I don't even know if it would, if he would have, it would have been like five bucks. Yeah. You know, it nothing have, nothing mm, significant. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just more the, you can't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I struggled a lot because again I was I, I had great difficulties with reading and and it was a course that was called um, it was this multidisciplinary taught English course called the Quest for Self and read things like um, Kafka Metamorphosis and oh. Jung the Undiscovered Self and Ursula Le Guin and. You know, various, I mean, not light stuff, especially for a a guy who had troubles reading. And I felt so stupid because I'd go back to the class and there'd be discussion of the literature. And I I literally had nothing to contribute because I I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... uh, they kind of took me under their wing a bit. One of the masters, one of the teachers took me under their wing a bit. And, um, again, a mentor. Yeah. I've had angels. Angels is fine. Yeah. My life. I mean, people who've kind of beyond just mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate in that way. Um, people have shown up and in some way taken you under their wing literally literally like they could see something that I couldn't see or they were just kind enough that they wanted to help somebody I don't know but Hmm. and so this um, this gentleman did and he helped me Um, I had again I had dysgraphia so he he helped me get you know, on like a 386 word processor and, and, mm. and so I could write papers and, and I actually passed the class, not, not, not in flying colors, but I did pass the class and, and then I kept taking classes and I still shooting a lot of dope and was working in this, in this photo, um, Shop. I'd become quite facile with darkroom mm-hmm. activities, and um, um, and so I was working there and trying to kind of figure out how to be a dad. But this woman that I really didn't like very much, 
This is, this is from with your first child, the first yeah. it, with the the, the woman. Mm. I mean, that was like five years older than you. At right. The time. Okay. Right. You know, and it was a fascinating thing for a fifteen-year-old kid, but I, I didn't really like her or have anything yeah. in, in common. Well, I, still a kid, and, and all of a sudden, the the concept and the idea of being a parent at the same time. Right. A little cognitive dissonance that could set in. Well, especially quickly. if you're a heroin addict. Yes. You know, that adds not a, to mention that yeah. adds a twist. <laughs> um, and so I'm doing a crap job, of course, although I love her dearly um, and she loved me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it might have been one of the things that kept me on the planet at times mm. was this little girl who loved me and her name's Andrea. And um, she's a 37 year old woman today and she is. Um, just magnificent. Hmm. I'm so proud of her. I mean, she's just developed into this lovely human and she's an entrepreneur and I think she's courageous. And um, So she helped me probably more than I helped her for a good many years. Um, so school went on and, and, and they were sort of like, you know, what do you, you know, what do you want to do with your education? And I said, well, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and they said, well, what about, you know, you know, social work or, you know, learning a vocation mm-hmm. or something? Mm-hmm. Um, is this a school or your parent or your family? This is the school, okay. you know, you'd yeah. meet with the, 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 sure. to sign up a, for classes. A counselor, yeah. Mm. Okay. And I started, then I started doing science, um, which it turns out was easier for me. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, than than uh, writing was. Hmm. And mathematics I had some problems with, but, um, but I, was, I found them easier to resolve. And so um, I started getting into science and I actually did quite well much to everybody's surprise um including my own um (laughs) and uh and so i started getting the idea that i wanted to do something with science and um and ultimately i then went on to the university of texas ironically enough in in <laughs> the one in dallas and somehow my transcript from the, the, the first the five f's yeah <laughs> um had magically vanished and um i certainly wasn't going to tell them <laughs> no, <laughs> this is right. I mean, I mean, has, yeah, this is a this opportunity drops again, you know, for you, right? right. So, I start um, getting really interested in in science and specifically um, kind of neuroscience. Um, I got interested in molecular biology and and mathematics and they did this kind of weird collection i think my degree is actually in psychology but i don't think i took that many psychology classes 
obviously enough to get a degree in it. And, yeah. Um, but you probably ended up, could have had a few minors as well along the way. <laughs> yeah. But it was like there was this thing that was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I was like, now I was captivated. Still using? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, um. Mainly just, were you just using heroin at this point, or were you... Were you that was a speedball, right? Speed I, 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 so heroin and yeah, cocaine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if it was going to be one or the other, it would be, you know, be the smack. But, um, so, um, so, I had this mentor there, Fredrickson, Chris Fredrickson, who was a, a, a neuroscientist, and and... I worked in his lab and made some little mm-hmm. bit of money, and I said I think I'd like to, you know, do a PhD or some sort of, you know, graduate work. And he said, "You're fucking nuts, man. This this world is just a pain in the ass. I spend my whole life writing grants, and um, you know, uh, go to medical school um, because." if you want to do neuroscientist as an MD, mm-hmm. getting grants and all that is, is, you know, is much easier. And, um, did that make sense to you? I'm curious in the moment. Did that, uh, well, it sounded a bit ludicrous, really, okay. <laughs> you know, but I thought it's an interesting idea. <laughs> uh, just how, how do you go about that? Right. How, how do I get from here to there? Right. Yeah. So, um, so it turns out that there's a there's another test um, that you take to get in, and then they look at your grades and things. And I I took the test. Um, oh, for medical school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm, yeah. Uh, but I I I. Between sections, there were four sections of the exam, and between sections, I was, you know, having to fix, and and I I, I didn't quite get the uh, the mix right, and I nodded out a bit on a couple of the sections, and so I didn't do very well on the exam. Um, so I had to retake it. I think I think I may may possibly have had the lowest score ever scored on the MCAT exam. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, uh, yeah. I fell asleep. I mean, it's just <laughs> done it right, yeah. I had, a, I had a bit of a kip during a couple of sections. So then I retook the exam like a year later, and it wasn't that I was, you know, doing any better. But, um, but I did well enough to get interviews. Um, hmm. And... So I'm in this weird world now where I'm like interviewing for medical school. I still got this wicked heroin habit. <laughs> um and um and you've kind of reconciled with family a little bit. Yeah, I, I had a, um you know in 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 our own sort of distant English Victorian way. Um <laughs> I mean I love I you know my my dad was a great he he loved me deeply mm-hmm. and dearly and intensely and he was a you know he was a lovely man um he just he struggled with me i think probably because we were so much alike um and he was a violent man at times um 
and um you know so we 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 had a hell of a time with each other but um did you have siblings i forgot to ask yeah i have a i have an older brother who so i mean this is how close we are as a family i i have a i have an older brother who lives in anchorage alaska i have a sister who still lives in the uk Hmm. and um my dad passed away on my um one year um celebration of being in recovery wow yeah hmm. I'm, I'm now i'm now a guy in in what we call long-term recovery it's seven years it's not hmm. that long but um but um on my one for year, some for some others it's a lifetime for me yeah, yeah a day was yeah. uh was inconceivable for 26 years or so hmm. so um yeah, so on my one-year anniversary, my dad passed away, which I thought was a bit selfish of him. <laughs> Spoil my day. Right. What's, what's this all about? <laughs> right. Um, I'd, I'd be thinking, did I have a bed or something? Yeah, I mean, my, my, my head would have gone, did I have a bed or something? I mean, this just doesn't seem right. right. I would have been trying to figure that out. And then probably acceptance would eventually set in. It's maybe not about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that it, it 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 happened and it was lovely i mean the last year of his life you know he he could tell that i was i was getting better he could tell mm-hmm. that i was you know settling and that right. i was and i was able to be there for him and i would take him he 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 had been catholic as a child mm-hmm and he had this enormous amount of guilt and fear about, you know, forever burning in hell for whatever sins he'd committed and not going to church for most of his life. And I would take this frail, nearly 90-year-old gentleman to to church. And my dad had been, I mean, he was a big physical man. He played rugby for Wales. I mean, he was a big physical man. And he'd become this this frail, mm-hmm. frail fellow. But I'd take him to church on Sundays and sit with him in the pews. Mm. And, and um, I think he died knowing that I was going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm grateful for yeah, that. Yeah, what a gift that last, that, last, that last year was. For both of us. For both of you, yeah. But to... To be able to spend that time with him, yeah, and to do it with a, a, a clear, clear head. I mean, yeah. clearing head, whatever you want to call it, but the and, and heart, be yeah. able to open up and, and be present for him. That's that's really beautiful. And um, I was able to eulogize him um, truly from a, a place of of love. And uh, realizing, although things hadn't always necessarily gone as the handbook says it should have gone, he had done his very best. Yeah. That's such an important thing, I think, to, for all humans to remember, especially if there were conflicts you know, at home or with parents or yeah. siblings, that every, they really are just doing their best, even if. 
Oh, there's no know. question. He'd have he'd have thrown himself in front of a bus for sure. me if he thought it would solve. If solve something, yeah, right. Yeah, you know. Um. So. Um. So are you in? Were you in med school when you stopped using, or, or was it? No, I, oh. I was still shooting heroin in medical school. Um, I was very proud of that. Um, so <laughs> look, look what I can do, kind I, of thing. <laughs> well, it was crazy because so now I've got this enormous imposter syndrome. Were you ever using with anyone during those times, or was I, I you, never had a road dog? Never. Okay. Um, it wasn't my style. I didn't trust anybody, and um, most people would the, the few times that I took people to where I went uh-huh. they freaked out right and I thought somebody's gonna get me um you know in a in a corner here I mean honestly in 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 going to those places for as many years as I did I was never assaulted I was never robbed I mean, and it's not because I'm like a great big badass or anything. I mean, I just don't. Well, not when you were 130 pounds anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. It just, it just, it just never happened. Mm-hmm. And there were times I fell out and, you know, overdosed in my bloody car, you know, with the windows open, the keys in the ignition. And no one pulled you out and put you on the sidewalk and took your car or anything like that. No, yeah. Yeah. it was astonishing. I mean, it you know. Um, so yeah, so I, so I'm in medical school and and of course you know have this tremendous imposter syndrome um, going on. And I remember all of these people who you know I'd come through junior college and then sort of a, a lesser University of Texas, although now. Now it's quite well respected. Um, many of the people I was in school with had come from, you know, um, institutions that were very prestigious, and and I just, you know, I thought someone's made a mistake and misread the transcript. Right. Um, and then there was. I remember the first day when the guy comes in and says, you know. There were 200 people in, in my medical school class. And he was like, y- you are the cream of the crop, you know. <laughs> and I looked around and I said, if you had any fucking idea who I am, you would have nothing to do with me. Right, right. You know. Um, and I remember everybody being really stressed about this histology test. Like it was in the first two weeks, and um, my first two weeks of medical school consisted of um, um, it's rather personal, but I'll share it because I, I think it's important. Um, I, I I found out um, that I had hepatitis C. Hmm. Um, went to see a gastroenterologist who said, I don't really know why you're bothering going to medical school because you'll probably be dead by the time you're 50. Um, oh, th- that's nice to hear. Yeah. Very reassuring. Sure. Um, and then my wife and I really, you know, had gone our separate ways. Um, we hadn't divorced, but she was hanging out with her own crew and... Mm-hmm. I think she was doing a lot of speed and and. Did you guys ever use together? 
Yeah, we tried. It never really worked. Um, I nearly killed her once, giving her heroin. I was like giving her what I thought was a tiny little dose, and she was not. And um, yeah, she turned blue and stopped breathing, and it was really frightening. And I, I um, so before Narcan, of course, right. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or the good Samaritan law, and I'm like, right. oh, oh God, <laughs> you know, I'm there. We go off to the joint. You know, right. it's finally happening. <laughs> um, but anyway, I managed to revive her, and um, and it just never worked out. I mean, I, I just didn't do dope with people. I I wasn't that guy. I wanted to be on my own, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. Uh, it was never a social event. Um, I, I relate to that, just so you know. Can you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe 80, 80% alone and maybe 20%. Yeah. With I mean, but those were few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's, yeah. that's me too. Yeah. Um, and then, so she'd been running around with other blokes, and I really didn't care. I mean, I honestly... We're trying to kind of hold it together to give Andy some sort of semblance of a stable sure. environment, although yeah. obviously you were failing miserably. Um, and well, not completely. I mean, we, I mean, I'm not trying you to. You know, we put food on the table, yeah. and we you did certain things, and and and, and, and loved her. Some and foundational pieces must have come through in all that, in all the it, all the madness. Something came through, uh, and despite yeah. us. Has gone on to become. She had her own angels, so to speak. Whatever, you know, indeed, yeah, right. Um, and so um, I, I had had uh, an affair with this woman, like right at the end of my university experience. I mean, it was literally a you know kind of one week fling with this girl. And during the first two weeks of medical school, I think it was actually the day after I found out I had hepatitis C, she told me that she was pregnant. Um, (laughs) And, I mean, even though we're living rather separate lives, we are still married, so that's a bit of a faux pas. Um, But she also included in the note that um, she didn't want me to be the father she wanted me to be a kind of sperm donor. Um, she let you know that in the note? Yeah. Okay. She was like really clear that she'd pick me out because, you know, she wanted somebody who had some attributes she thought I had. And I thought, oh, joke's on you. Addiction's <laughs> heritable. <It's> like, <laughs> and I, you know, it's still a very difficult thing for me because I... Um, you know, I, I have a little girl out there who I paid child support honorably for 18 years, but I didn't know whether to approach or not. She had married, she kind of had her family, and I, you know, have always questioned whether pushing into that was my own ego right. and need. Was it your Was it your place? Or was it in her interests? Yeah. Or, or or the child's? I guess at that point. Yeah, I mean, I was more concerned. Like, you know, I mean, she's just happy with her life and mm-hmm. not knowing. Yeah. Um, That's such a good point, by the way. I, and I, I, 
I, I've had a similar episode in in college, and uh, and I've always wondered, you know, I've always wondered the same thing, you know, did I make the the right decision? Yeah, but it, you know, when I, I look back, I say yes, that, that was that was the, that was the right decision yeah. in the long run. But, and and maybe and if I had thought differently, that would have been about me, you know. Yeah, and, and not really about the situation, and not really about. Um, the child and and yeah, that's how I finally came to I the, guess some set of sort of peace with it. Yeah, the, I mean those are the conclusions I've drawn, and I, and you know, and I periodically revisit it with, you know, I mean my wife and I talk about the situation, you know, and she's very aware, um, and has been, you know, all along. Um, I've talked about it with counselors. I've talked about it with. Uh, sponsors, I, I do mutual support in the community. Um, I've, I've talked about it with um, a, a few men that I'm close to in various ways, and you know, and it always kind of comes back to the same thing that you know, you're a pretty easy guy to find. It doesn't appear that she's that interested in anything. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so but I, I would welcome that. I right. Mean, you know, were it to happen. I mean, my ch- my, my my actual children know. Um, so it's not like the great big family secret that, you know, when I kick the bucket, there's going to be this person in the world against going to you know, who the hell is this? Um, so, I don't know, you know, the universal source um, So, so medical school, am I, am I, like, dragging on too long? You're here? doing perfect. Are you Th- sure? There is no, there is no such thing. Okay. We're doing great. I'm just afraid I might be, you know, this might be a bit tedious for people. <laughs> no, we're, we're doing fine. This okay. is excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually did very well in medical school. I, um, I graduated, um, you know, in the top 10% of my class and, um, was, was still a heroin addict still all the way through, <laughs> which would really in some ways give like, you know, I, heroin can't be all that bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was exactly my rationalization I thought okay the secret to my success is just getting the mixture right you know uh-huh. and um, I'm pretty sure I couldn't do this unless I and and I I developed this weird pattern like I hated going to medical school like there were seven Nobel laureates in this school, and if if one of them was speaking or somebody who I knew was good, I would go. Otherwise, I never went. Hmm. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, I, I get that, though. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't like the people in medical school. I had one friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and it's such an immersion, I mean, too. I mean, medical school is... It, the, the context of it and yeah. the container for it it's like you don't you don't even it, it, it's so much it's so much information you're in internalizing and digesting so much oh is it drinking a fire hose yeah i mean it just it's the, the old analogy how to eat an elephant you know one yeah, bite yeah. that's medical school right yeah. um and so 
but we get you know we get syllabi you know what was what was mm-hmm. on and important and this and that and i came to discover that um between about like midnight and five in the morning um my my brain would sort of has this kind of photographic component oh really like, during that time mm-hmm. even if i am under the influence really fucked up. <laughs> uh, which is curious um so you know uh i actually worked a bit through medical school because you have to have some money to keep a dope habit going um and, <laughs> well, and, then, and food occasionally right right and um and i and i you know um sustain that and then I would occasionally go to school if there was somebody worthwhile speaking or some sort of I don't know practical you know experience Mm -hmm. um and then um I I was you know sleep for a couple of hours until you know about midnight and then I'd get up and I would just crank it every Mm. night midnight to six fascinating and um and i could literally on exams read the page you know um that you were studying yeah you've been I mean, studying. I could, you could I literally could see, like i could see the diagram they'd say okay you know um you know the three most common symptoms of da 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 and i i could see the diagram fascinating on the page and it's rather anti-intellectual. I mean, I, I found medical school in general pretty disappointing because it was such an anti-intellectual um, um, approach. It was just memorize all this crap um, rather than let's get really interested in some bits and dig in, you mm-hmm. know. And that was always my problem was I, I had bits that fascinated me and I'd and I read and read and read, but they weren't the bits that were in the syllabus, so right. it wasn't very efficient. Um, and I usually have to read them two or three times because, again, I'm still not a very good reader. Uh, and I'm, to this day, I'm not. I mean, it's embarrassing to me. Like, I'll be with colleagues who will flip through an article mm-hmm. in five minutes, and I, I literally have to read it two or three times mm-hmm. to 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 really get it. But I just do. Hmm. Um, so, but I, I guess that's not a secret anymore, but. Um, <laughs> guess it, not. <laughs> cat's out of the bag. Um, but uh, but uh, anyway, so I graduated. I stayed in Texas to do an internship. And, and this, was, this was weird. So um, I graduated medical school and. I all of a sudden I, I just stopped shooting dope. What? I mean, it just stopped. It just stopped. Like right after graduation or something, or what? Uh, or when you got bef- your internship? It, w- it was yeah. before it was your residency. Yeah, it was before I started my residency, and I don't think. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think it was because of some, you know, kind of sense of responsibility or something. Mm. But if that were the case, it probably would have happened earlier than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it just stopped. Um, now, I still didn't 
drink um, like a gentleman, and mm-hmm. I didn't object to taking, um, you know, pills of various sorts. Uh, but it sort of, you know, compared to... But that lifestyle, the heroin, you know, the smack lifestyle, so to speak, yeah, that, yeah. that that ev- literally evolved out of your your being. It at, just kind of went away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I still love driving through those neighborhoods and just reminiscing, and uh, which I know is... Well, it, it's it's a form of romancing, of course, but you know, there's there. The, I believe the way that at least I'm hearing it from you is that the the romancing is partly about the the culture it, 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 as it much is. as it is about you know you there, know there were people I I mean there were people up, I really I mean, loved yeah. in 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 that crowd yeah. and people don't understand like a lot of these a lot of the guys who were who were who were selling dope. They were more in that community than just, you know, a person who was selling poison on the corner. I mean, I get, I get it. I get the, I get the perspective, but many times they were also the people who someone in the neighborhood would come to if they needed help with something. Mm-hmm. And and these guys would help. I mean, these would not evil at least the ones no, that I, I, I understand with, what you're saying yeah um they almost had a kind of social services function that you know they would help people out of jams and could solve problems um that, well i think all kinds of different communities do that yeah it's it's not just the social service you know volunteer um type communities yeah uh, that 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 offer those kinds of services, uh, I noticed it in 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 places you wouldn't expect it as well, and it's it is maybe just this inherent component of, of that people have about. I mean, you and I talked a little bit about this last that day we were we were visiting um, about how important connection is. Yeah, and it almost it's it kind of overrides a lot of this, and, and we need to have that in one form or another. The heroin may be a way in in which we connect to people through it and certain communities, but there's usually got to be something foundational in there. Yeah. Or you, if you didn't feel safe and you didn't feel welcomed, um, you probably would have gone someplace else to right, figure it out. Or long, yeah. I mean, and, who, and who knows what that would have looked like? And periodically, you know, that would happen because someone would get arrested or someone would get shot, or you know, and that was just the reality of these. I mean, these were neighborhoods the police didn't even bother going in. Right, right. You know, it was a kind of a policy of containment. You just do whatever you people want to do in your little spot, but don't drive out of there with yeah. it or will have you. Um, but the police had no presence. Even the postmen, they had boxes at the end of the streets. Right. And they literally had two postmen and one would just reach out and and stick the things in the and they get the hell out as quickly as they mm. they could and so i mean there was no sense of security or support and mm. you know so in a funny way these guys would would do some of those things but anyway yeah so it it just kind of 
it just kind of went away. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying... I mean, I think this is what's fascinating about the disease of addiction is... You're good. Yeah. Um, is, is that... Um, one of the things that, that, that is not publicized is that it does in, in many people just remit spontaneously at mm. some point in their life. Yes, that's true. Um, like if they live long enough, probably a third. Um, yet in others, it's a relapsing and remitting condition. Yeah. And it is a smaller percentage of people that don't stop. That I mean, the larger percentage of people can stop, stop on their own yeah. at some point. And there's... I mean, and you and I talked about this. I think the last time too that we were we were visiting, even though we know some of the data is is not always correctly followed through. But you know, the the you know, Vietnam War has been used as an example right. of that. There, there's a definitely a percentage of those people that were addicted to heroin when they were there, opium, right. came back and did stop. I mean, right. The, the numbers may not be completely accurate at ninety five percent or whatever, it was, right? But it, a, a, a pretty good percentage of them did yeah and maybe not go to alcohol or or something else yeah 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 um i mean it's fascinating i think we've oversimplified addiction i think it's a final common pathway for quite a lot of other things yes um and 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 i think and a, it, and a, and a human condition for sure absolutely yeah. right um but anyway, so I went into some sort of remittance or at least, you know, moderation that seemed more reasonable. Um, I still couldn't leave the last beer from the six pack in the fridge. It, You know, I, 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 I did need to finish them all. <laughs> um, but, um, but I, you know... I was I was never drunk at work. I was never you know ulcers. I I I loved my internship. I was in a great great program, and I was just learning loads of things. Um, I uh, I trained in internal medicine, um, and um, then I I moved to Utah in hmm. two thousand to do a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care medicine. Um, interesting choice, right? Lots of drama and hmm. what have you. Um, but I, I really enjoyed high acuity, highly complex, really sick cases mm -hmm. and, and looking after them and, and, and figuring out what was going on. And um, You were drawn to this. I was. You were drawn. I had. I had a. I had a. I had a passion for yeah. it. Um, and I met my wife there. We literally met over some poor chap who, I think, had been hit by a bus or an eighteen wheeler. <laughs> um, and we were in the in the trauma ICU, and um, you know, spent like hour after hour after hour trying to help this chap. I mean, he was literally on, on the verge of dying moment to moment. And, wow. and we're, we're working fiendishly to, to kind of keep him going, get him stabilized. And, um, 
and she was a fabulous nurse. I mean, she was absolute. She was, she was so gifted. Um, so, you, so that was a quite a bonding experience. <laughs> well, it was, and then I looked up at one moment and noticed that I also thought she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen, and I, I still feel that way about her. <laughs> I do. So bonus. <laughs> I mean, I, I do. I, I, you know, we've been married for 12 years and we hung out for, you know, four or five before that. Um, and I, I just, she's still the most beautiful girl in the world mm, for me. That's... And I just love her dearly. Um, you know, that, that sounds a little bit, it's a little early, but that sounds a little bit like a happy ending almost, you know. Yeah, <laughs> let's don't count our chickens because no, no. I could blow it no, at any moment, no. right? I have, no. I have a very rich history of of snatching uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't need to happen. No, yeah, no, 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 it doesn't. Um, but your, your transition and, and the way you, I mean, this story is great because everyone everyone sort of reaches this point right that we and we we learn how to do this in our own way yeah. but the truth is it's it's an evolutionary process you know f- establishing sobriety and i don't correlate sobriety personally to necessarily having to always be about right. drugs and alcohol right you know, right sober thinking sober you know emotional regulation all right. these other things so I, I see it as an evolutionary process, something that we kind of grow into and learn to kind huh. of this idea of being coming comfortable in our own skin. Right. I love that concept, but I, I don't think it. I take the drugs away from that and I'm going just learning to be comfortable again in this flesh suit. So to speak, isn't you know? that the truth? Yeah. I mean, because we're all recovering from something. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. And yeah. and some of them are more conspicuous than others. But but. This living business is a full contact sport. It's so true. And everybody gets hurt, yeah, yeah. you know. And so I I love the, the, the broader sort of view of recovery as being, you know, kind of coming to terms with things and, 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 and reaching that place where we do have some acceptance. Mm-hmm. If we're lucky, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, of self, especially, of course. Oh, yeah. Especially. Yeah. And, um, and that we actually do fit. That we, that we, we, we're just okay. Yeah. And we're just another bozo on the bus. Just another bozo on the right? bus. Right. I mean, aren't we all right? Yeah. Some of us have fancier things than others, but we're all, we're all bumbling our way through this experience. <laughs> right exactly i mean honestly um so she she had two children um actually truth be known so i'm still married to carol um who um I hadn't, i'm not sure she'd gone back to texas yet but she was on the way and this lovely nurse was married to this crazy guy um who basically sat in his um garments on the couch all day while she worked her ass off waiting to be translated um into some sort of spiritual um state that you know oh and doing a lot of get uh, get rich quick schemes that 
didn't work out. Um, well, there's a bunch of addictions in there, but we won't, we won't go yeah, into that. Yeah, I mean, right, uh, <laughs> we've all got something. Um, and there's definitely numerous diagnoses. I'm, I'm fairly certain he's not part of the listening audience, but we've already had this discussion, so, you know, whatever. Mm. I, I could only hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she has two kids, Carly and Brenny, and Carly's now 23, um, and she's lovely. She's she's finding her way. Uh, Brenny is uh, 19. He's just gone off on a LDS mission to... Um, he was, like, so hoping for Vienna or, you know, and he got, like, bloody Columbus, Ohio. Um, <laughs> he, he wanted to get immersed in a, in a, yeah, in, in, in a European culture or something yeah, like that. Or, or something. Yeah. Any, anywhere. But, something yeah. exotic. <laughs> Columbus. Columbus, yeah. I think they've got, like, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there. There's something. Some, that's, there's, like, Cincinnati. But there's something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's still, if he grew up here, that will still be a whole different culture and environment for him, probably. <laughs> yeah, and um, and he's a he's a he is a lovely lad, and I miss him terribly. Um, we all do. Um, and I think he was quite ambivalent about going on the mission. I think he it was always anticipated and expected, and his father certainly had a huge amount of influence and. And I think he finally decided, you know, that was the thing for him to do. And we always just said, look, man, you've got to sort this for yourself. Right. So that that morning you wake up and say, why didn't I go? Or that morning you wake up and say, what the hell am I doing here? Right. You you know what the answer to that question is. Yeah. What's true for you? And so you sort it. We're here for you. Um. And then Kathy and I have two little boys of our own. Um, Alex, who's 12, who is just a gorgeous little fellow. And I, I, I just, I remember the moment he was born. It was just this powerful, powerful thing for me. Mm. And then um, son Jack, who is... Uh, 11 and he too is I, I mean I couldn't be any luckier I I just adore my boys and um, they've been great great gifts um, so so I come here to train and I train in critical care and um, and I actually picked up a few other board things there's none of that's terribly interesting um, but it uh, I hurt my back and um, like you know I really kind of herniated things and of course um, I was much too busy to get this sorted out <laughs> there was not enough time to deal with your physical ailments is what you're yeah, saying yeah I was a very important guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've, I've got people to see and things to do at least you know, in my do, own do, mind do you know right? who I am right yeah <laughs> no you got it man yeah, perfect yeah. <laughs> and and it turns out I have my own DEA number and so um, you know it's not difficult to imagine that why I would just need to write my own prescriptions. Um, so I, I did, and then it 
became rather more complicated because you know tolerance happens and then i needed to use other people's dea numbers and um and so i committed a uh a, a lot of a lot of fraud this is this is all if you want to look it up you can it's <laughs> part of the public record right um <laughs> um i don't mean to make light because it was you know it, i you know i mean you were you were you were doctor shopping <laughs> i <laughs> only for their dea number yeah, right no i know you didn't yeah right <laughs> you um, knew the system inside and out so you didn't, oh, you didn't need to <laughs> but what it, you know it became so difficult to to remember which pharmacies I'd used for which people using which DEAs, and I, I was kind of afraid to write it down anywhere in case somebody found it because that would be a bit incriminating. Um, <laughs> yeah, under the notion that I'm, I'm probably not going to get caught, at least in my thinking at the time, right? Yeah. Um, and it, eventually it got back to heroin and cocaine, and so I'm a you know professor at the U who pops down in lunch and uh you know i'm copping on the block i'm a professor i'm doing this this world and i'm stepping into this other world i'm living in two worlds yeah and now it's like even, but you had done that for a long time i had already. but now it was amplified because you know now i'm now i i'm sort of the the you're responsible for a lot of yeah i mean i'm looking after patients yes yeah lives are people are placing trusts of their life in my hands and um you know there's professional shame that 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 still comes up from time to time and i i have done an enormous amount of work and we actually have a lovely um healthcare professionals meeting that happens i am happy to give out my contact info if there's any healthcare folks who are listening who feel like they might benefit from such a community but let's do that right before we we finish up. Okay. okay let's give them your contact info yeah okay yeah um so um so i'm living this crazy world right and then this is the bit where it gets a little weird. Um, and I never know quite whether to tell this or not, but it, um, to your credit, you make me feel so comfortable. I, I, I don't mind. Um, okay. So it got to the point where, I mean, I literally, I, I, I had, I had tried a, a, um, you know, people had begged me to go to treatment. Like, mm-hmm. You know, everyone had said, you know, please, look, you know, this is going to go badly. Um, and, of course, I felt that was completely unnecessary. I wasn't that bad. Um, and, uh, and I tried, to, and I just, I, I had just come to the conclusion that, there was something sufficiently fucked up about me that it might work for these other people, mm-hmm. but I was just going to be stuck with it. And I was, you know, buying life insurance policies and 
I mean, they really had just come to accept that. You had you come to some type of resolution that oh. this was just the way things were. And there was a, this was your life in some way. And that I would probably die, and I didn't want my my family to not have any money if right. I did. Right. And um, and I lived that way for three or four years. Wow, that's yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a career in itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and somehow, somehow you did though. You did live that way. It is, and 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 I'll tell you this. I mean, I I don't, you know, I I I am not trying to inflate myself or rationalize or excuse myself or or, but people felt I was a good doc, I, and and I was a damn good doc. Are are a good doc? No, well, I am. No. I have a different thing I do now, but I yeah, I was good at. I mean, people would call me when they couldn't figure things out right. they'd ask me to come and have a look or if they if they couldn't get a certain procedure done they'd say can you come and give us a hand i mean i wasn't i mean obviously i was dysfunctional but i you know in in the professional environment it was on for me and and i you know as a critical care guy would often stay up two three days in a row um, you know, and think nothing of it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just what happens. Well, it's part of, again, it's part of that lifestyle too. I mean, it's what it's what's yeah known and at least expected. It's what you expected of yourself yeah. at the time. Yeah, I, I know it does sound irrational, and and I understand this. And uh, d- yes, there is a lot of irrational and delusional thinking that goes on when when someone is. Um, you know, living these 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 worlds that there's such a dichotomy between them that it doesn't seem how can how can they possibly fit together? But some somewhere along the way, I mean, and uh, this is a little bit of a rescue, I guess, is that you figured out how to compartmentalize enough mm, of these yeah. different components mm. that you know you were able to function, you know, in both of these worlds. Yeah, was there denial? Was there irrational thinking? Was yeah. there shame and probably a lot of toxic dynamics to this? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, to this day, I, I, I have remorse about. Um, maybe I have a chance to tell you a funny story about treatment. But um, to this day, I, you know, I have remorse and I feel that I owe a debt to society. But I can say that I. Do not think that my ability to care for people was diminished. I mean, I was not... I mean, heroin for me was a stimulant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I, I I would shoot heroin and I am a machine. Mm-hmm. Not much emotion. A <laughs> lot of machine. wasn't just a warm blanket is what you're saying. Uh-uh. Right. Okay. And I mean, and I was focused and I could stay focused um, for long periods of mm-hmm. time. Um, again, not excuse or rationalization. Um, I'm going through this period where I'm, you know, kind of trying to figure out how am I going to support my family um, after I, you know, overdose. Because now I'm just doing ridiculously large amounts of drugs, mm-hmm. 
and you know waking up with puke on my face and you know um and was physically ill spiritually ill but my career is escalating mm. you know I'm being promoted and I'm being given more and more uh, grant money and I mean it was, it was just crazy you're quite the overachiever <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure what to call it no honestly. I know but I mean it, it almost looked you know I'm I, 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 I'm I can perform all these these ways. I, I, I'm being promoted because of my expertise and my knowledge and my, my care. And, and I'm also, you know, at the same time, be in a place of, you know, having a serious drug addiction, which somehow they're all working. I mean, I, I, that sounds in, incredible, right? That mm. they can happen. Mm. And it, it sounds, I mean, most people would just think, well, that's, that's not rational, but it, it, it happened. It's, so, I mean, that is the reality. It, it, I mean, that is a reality. It certainly does. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 but all these other aspects of your life. I mean, the relationships probably aren't going well. No, you know, you're not. You're feeling. I mean, you know, my, my internalized shame is. You know, yeah, it's getting toxic. Yeah, and and I'm I'm you know once again I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm so I'm lying to my wife, this mm -hmm. woman who I love dearly. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, she's like you're high, and I'm like yeah, I don't care what your lying eyes tell you. I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm grumpy with my children unless I'm just in that little window where you feel all right mm -hmm. um and I would try and kick like I mean it was like a once a month thing I would try and kick and I you know and I um I didn't buprenorphine actually hadn't come out uh no that's not true buprenorphine was 2003 uh somehow I didn't know about it um, but I would just kick old school and, and, and it was like, I, I would do this once a month and the kids are kind of, they're small, bless their little hearts. Um, and they're like, you know, asking, so you detox at home kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. And they'd be like, you know, why is daddy sick all the time? Right. You know, and, and my poor wife is just, you know. She knows why, of course. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't know what you know what to do. I mean, you know, she doesn't want to blow the whistle, and right. I mean, she's in this awkward situation, right? She sure. has no good option available. Um, and so I would wake up needing to fix pretty much every morning, like right about the time the first bird sang at about. Five, you know, I'd fix about midnight, and then by about five, I, you know, need to need to uh, fix again. And I would wake up every day dreading, like, what kind of craziness am I going to have to perform today in order to? you know, get well, you know, um, 
yet stable reach uh, homeostasis and, right? and, yeah. and, and, and continue this, this bloody lie mm-hmm. you know crazy dance mad, mad dance yeah and um, this is going to sound really odd so I'm lying in bed and I'm, I'm not you know hallucinosis is not usually part of opioid withdrawal um, uh, but I'm lying in bed and, and um, I was aware of a presence mm-hmm. and and there was kind of a amorphous um, body to the presence mm-hmm. I guess you could describe it that was okay. n- not human yet not um not unhuman. I don't know. It sounds very odd. I mean, it's it's indescribable. Um, and I heard the words very clearly in in my ear. Follow my path. You have nothing to fear. Let your light shine through me. Let my light shine through you. Mm-hmm. And I was frozen. I mean, I was frozen. I just... I. I mean, I, I, at the same time, I felt terrified, mm-hmm. yet um, not quite sure what was going on. Um, is this some kind of, have I finally just, you know, gone too far? And yeah, I is this a psychotic? I have become is, psychotic. Psychotic, okay. Because I think I was probably taking on the order of 20 milligrams of Alprazolam on most days, so there was some chance of that. Um, but this really wasn't. This was real, mm-hmm. and I felt it viscerally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went downstairs and I fixed anyway, because well, that's what you do, um, even when you've just had some kind of spiritual experience. That that was my first like. The, I I still don't know what that was. I don't try to, but that 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 was a spiritual experience. That was yeah. because in that moment, what I knew, I knew like in my core, um, that there was a way out. Hmm. That moment, I knew. You had clarity. I did. I didn't yet have clarity enough to stop um, falsifying prescriptions, but I I had clarity that there that there was a, a way out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to explain it to my wife, and she's kind of just sick of hearing my BS by mm-hmm. now, and and I'm trying to come to terms with it, and I'm still doing the mad games. And then one day I walked in my office at work. Um, it was later afternoon, about four, and I had a big bag of medicines from a pharmacy, and I put them down on my desk. And without even really thinking about it, that it came back to me. Just follow my path. You'll have nothing to fear. Let your light shine through me. Let my light shine let, through let you. Let my light shine Sorry, through you. Sorry, I keep getting that backwards. 
That's probably pretty important to keep that the right way around. Because <laughs> <laughs> my light can be pretty dark at times. <laughs> That's um, part of being human. I don't, you know. Yeah. yeah right. Um, and I, I need pick- to embrace the shadow as well. So I picked up the phone and I called my boss. And I said, I've got a drug problem and I need treatment. And... Um, I need a leave of absence. And he started to try to talk to me. Um, I think he was going to try and be kind, and mm-hmm. um, but I hung up on him. Mm-hmm. And then I called Doppel. And I said, Robert Simpson, medical license number. I have a drug problem. I've just told my boss and I'm taking a leave of absence. Um, And I'd seen the last patient of the day. I literally just left work. Um, And... um, I felt this enormous kind of sense of relief. I can imagine. Because yeah. uh, you admitted, you admitted to what the, your problem was. Yeah. You told on yourself. Yeah. I was also terrified because I had no idea what would happen next. Mm. Yeah. You know. Um, and had I known what would happen next, I'm not sure I would have made the phone call. Um, you may you may have chosen to have done things a, a slightly different path, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, um, what happened next was um, that nobody at the U really wanted to talk to me anymore. I'd kind of gone from being, you know, the man to being um, something of a pariah, and understandably so. I mean, I, I get it. I I, I get it. But friends are still friends, you know. Um, and there was a, there was a lot that was quite kind of hurtful about that. Um, uh, the univer- Got a lot of stereotyping, you mean? Kind of, like you know about drug addiction or a drug addict or yeah. a junkie and those yeah. kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um. The university police department was quite interested in talking to me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> they had a few questions. And HR was quite interested in talking to me, really just to make sure that I didn't come back. Um, and so um, I um, I went to uh, an IOP here in Salt Lake and it was beneficial. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. So I went to this IOP and I, um, you know, and it was, it was helpful. I mean, it was like, I finally kind of started to address things. Um, and, you know, my wife is, I think by now she's like so confused. She's not 
sure whether she's glad I did this or hor- horrified that I just mixed feelings basically cut off the you know um you know the the ability to sustain a living and feed sure. our family and yeah um and so well and it, it, it's it's not like you can step one in that moment can step back and go this big objective view over you know the the whole situation get enough distance from it right you know, seeing the forest for the trees so to speak um, right that that's difficult in those moments because it's a crisis moment and and the, the you know for her to not be sure you know was this the oh. best thing i mean imagine obviously looking back you know obviously this is the best thing but in that moment oh I, yeah, yeah. she <clears throat> Bless her for you know. I, I'm I'm way behind on the score sheet, so <laughs> I, need, I need to be a very nice man. The, to the this debits woman. and the credits never the rest, lined up is what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I need okay. to be very nice for the remainder of my life <laughs> to even have a chance of pulling even. Yeah. Um. So I go to treatment, and then um. I come home one day and there's all of these things from attorneys in my mailbox Mm -hmm. offering to represent me. And I'm like, oh, represent me for what? And um, so I went to uh, bed and then there's a knock at the door and and there's like an enormous amount of policemen in front of my house. Yes. Which doesn't happen usually in the neighborhood that i live in yeah and um so i got to be arrested in front of my family which was terrific um and everyone's peeping out their windows wondering why there's literally 10 squad cars out in front of the house Mm -hmm. and they told me that the you had said that i was a fight or flight risk and so you know Okay, maybe once, but now I am a flabby 45-year-old guy who, (laughs) you know... Were you an outpatient at this point? Were you still in your treatment program? I think I'd completed it, actually. And I was trying to... I had this... So I'd been convinced that that the way to approach Doppel was with an attorney. Mm Mm-hmm. Which turns out to be um, a bit of a lie, I think, um, because this attorney did nothing but drain money from me and stand in the way of resolution. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah. Um, so no one wants to talk to me. Now I've been arrested, 118 felony counts, and that's because they only went back like two or three months. Mm-hmm. And the DEA now gets involved and they'd like me to do some federal time. And uh, things are really not looking very bright for me right. at all. And um, I can't remember how I heard of him. Oh, I saw his movie, Kevin McCauley. Yeah. Um, um, somehow I got his number. Pleasure Unwoven. That yeah, one or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
I got his number from there was there was one other doc that I've found who and I won't mention his name because I don't want to right um who said listen call call Kevin and I and I called Kevin and he answered the phone and he talked to me um and it was it, it was touching you know like don't do anything crazy I know this looks impossible to mm-hmm. resolve but just just do the next thing that you need to do and that is to go to a treatment center that treats docs and at that time there were only a few Betty Ford was where I went um and I didn't go because I I thought it would actually help I went because I just wanted the law off my back you know Mm -hmm. I was tired of getting arrested and um and I went there and the doc there Harry Dr. Harry um is quite a character and he's he's done this stuff for quite a while and Harry certainly took me under his wing and um he said oh you got some DEA troubles <laughs> and I said yes sir I do and he said I know some people in the DEA uh let me just make a phone call and so he he talked to the DEA guy and, and their problem was they didn't really believe that someone could actually consume that much. They thought I was like Distributing, huh? selling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Harry said, no, this guy really is that fucked up. <laughs> um, Cause I, I mean, I, you know, um, and they said, oh, all right, well, then we're not really that interested in him, but he's not going to have a license. Fair enough. Much better than federal time. Uh, and then I said, Harry, can I borrow your phone for a minute? And he said, yeah. And I called up my attorney and I uh, I sacked her. And, um, and then... Um, I called Doppel to let them know that I was no longer represented and mm-hmm. that I would like to have a chance to um, come in and talk with them. I'd surrendered my license. Sure. Yes. Right, right. Um, and Did I went, you know at the moment what a good move that was? I mean, to, to get the attorney out of the way? I mean, oh, or did, had you figured it out at that point? Yeah, by that time, I kind of it had clicked that this is what she's actually standing in the way yeah. she's become part of the problem semantics yeah. in the stipulated agreement right and um um so i i left betty ford on december the 18th they let me leave a few days early because my son's birthday is the 19th and so I could get home for his for his third birthday. And um, and the the bureau manager of Doppel um, 
sat down with me on Monday and said, look, um, this really isn't that complex. You mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to work for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't have a license uh, and you're going to have to go in front of the medical board. And I don't know what that's going to result in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know what, I, I'm... I've I have accepted that the consequences of my actions are mm-hmm. whatever they are, and if I'm never a doctor again, I'm okay. And I and I and I had on the sixty fourth day, and Betty Ford actually kind of had woke up, and that craving was gone. Hmm. I mean, I just didn't want to use. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went in front of the board and it took a very long time and I, you know, to get any sort of license back and I got this sort of useless license back that, <laughs> well, it wasn't entirely useless, it, it, but it's a license you can prescribe, you know, things that aren't uh, scheduled. Right, you can, you can prescribe... A whole suit. I mean, you can actually prescribe most drugs. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but not the schedule. Antibiotics yeah, right. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, I'm I'm kind of got this big resentment in my head about medicine. You know, aren't we supposed to be a healing profession? And right. you know, what the hell? And then you know, just being a victim, right? And um, <laughs> and I and I ran into. I started doing some um, volunteer work with this fellow Joel who worked with the 4th Street Clinic. And Joel would go out and deliver care in the streets and go and, you know, right. establish rapport with the cats under the bridges right. and the people who were sufficiently uh, treatment-resistant, they wouldn't even come to clinic. Right. And, yeah. and he and I would hang out and, you know, do this and, and talk. And I wasn't practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, most of it was giving people dry socks and things like that. Right. But, but you were you were doing service. I mean, that was the point of this. And it, yeah, and it, and it was just kind of fun. And and Joel was a just a lovely. Joel is a lovely guy. Um, still a very dear friend. And and I think at that point. Um, um, a doc by the name of Christina Gallup, who ran the Four Street Clinic, said, um, heard that I was doing this volunteer work, and she ran into me outside, and she said, what? I mean, she knew what had gone on, because mm-hmm. her husband was in my department. Mm-hmm. And she said, what? What, what, are you, what are you doing with your life? I mean, and... You know, I kind of went into my, I don't know if I want to be a doctor anymore thing. <laughs> and she, uh, she actually, I'd not, I'm pretty sure she called me the P word and said, uh, why don't you quit being such a... Um, you can a, say that word. <laughs> you know, unless you don't I don't know where the line's drawn, you know. <laughs> but but uh, she said, why don't you, yeah, and just come, come, come down to the clinic and let's just talk about what what the hell you're doing yeah yeah and it just so ter- happened that they had a uh, a mid-level practitioner who um resigned like a week later 
Oh. And she said, look, I've got this gig. It's an MP's job. And we're going to pay you an MP salary. In fact, we'll probably pay you less than that. <laughs> because you are a huge risk. <laughs> and, and you're a prick. <laughs> uh, right. And when, when, you, when you were my attending in the ICU, you were a complete asshole. I love it. <laughs> but, um, so... There, you it's, know, all, it's all about... That's all about humbleness, though. That's a beautiful part of, like, fu- like refinding ourselves, reconnecting to that... That peace within us. I mean, it wouldn't matter probably what you did at that moment, but there you were. I mean, there you were. And you said, okay, are you ready to show up and just, yeah, just yeah. do it? Just be it. Be yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's cool. Um, and I'll be forever grateful for, for what she did for me. I mean, it was a very brave move. Yeah. And she went to the boards and I mean, this is public documents, what I did. And she, she went to the board and she said, she advocated for me. And they, it took a long time to kind of work its way through, but they hired me. And I, and I worked at the Fourth Street Clinic for a um, number of years. Um, and I really reconnected with why I actually, you know, had, had gone into medicine. Um, how cool is that? Yeah, right. I mean, it was just, it was crazy because I, now I'm not doing all this administrative stuff and I, and I kind of, um, I obviously had an affinity for, for the junkies and the crackheads <laughs> and, you know, they're my people, right? <laughs> and so, so like where everyone else is like, you know, oh fuck, you know, what's his name's back today? I'd be like, I'll see him, you know. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And uh, so my, my because you you had somewhere gotten to the, that place of yeah, okay, I am just another bozo on the bus. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm ready, my yeah. people, I whatever it is. But my people doesn't just mean the the crackheads and the junkies. They're it, it's people that need need yeah need what I have. That's that's it. This is yeah. it. I, I I understand. I mean, I get it. Yeah. You know, I I get that you can't stop even though it looks like you really should <laughs> you know and and so and then i started teaching um i started some groups down there that were i think the first one was like a stop smoking one which was ludicrous because nobody wanted to stop smoking <laughs> but um but we um but we really started talking about you know, addiction and behavior change and, and, and I mean, I guess, you know, you kind of call it, some of it was kind of mindfulness stuff, mm-hmm. just awareness of what's, you know, I, I, by that time I'd, I'd read, you know, Kabat-Zinn and was really kind of fascinated by, by that. Um, and these groups were super well attended um, and it it just went on from there. Uh, I became it became obvious to me that I needed to be, you know, doing something with addiction. Yeah. Um, and I I I love. I I, I really love the people. I I I enjoy wherever they are on that continuum. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's the most rewarding work I've ever done. Um, treating people like they're humans worthy of respect, mm-hmm. regardless of what they're doing or yeah. not doing. Um, it's, it's, which is, it actually is... I mean, throughout your story, that that's something that happened to you throughout. All, I mean, there's mm, periods mm, like mm, I mean, now you mm. know you. I use the word mentor, and, and you use I use the word angel, and I kind of like the term angel too because it's like that notion of ta- someone taking you under their wing, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I, I, that makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have but, it tattooed up here on my arm. Yeah, an angel. You know, because it was. I, I mean, you know. I could list off any number of people who who have just really opened up doors for me that, you know, for no particularly good reason other than they were just probably extremely kind people uh, and maybe thought that I could be helpful, you know. Well, Um, and that's that's that, that beautiful component of empathy that, Right. People understand. They really do. If you've been here, you if you've step walked in those shoes, yeah. you understand it. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it doesn't have to just be about drugs and alcohol, but knowing what it's like to go down into the shadow. Mm. It and what it's like to be down in there. Mm-hmm. And then be able to come out. I mean there there's that there, there's all these analogies and words that get used you know redemption and rebirth and you know um resurrection and all all, all these mm-hmm. these um uh, thoughts that represent things on so many different levels whether it be theological right, right. or existential yeah but it, there's a beauty in that there's a beauty in in, there is. in 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 that type of connection um you know the dark night of the soul peace that you know right people get that they get that if if we're vulnerable and 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 people respond to vulnerability in different ways Mm. but if you've been there Mm. we usually respond in such a way as to feel that 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 humanhood that brotherhood that sisterhood that connection yeah and there's it's so intimate i believe and 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 it's interesting because i don't usually disclose because I don't think it's necessarily yeah. very helpful. But there's something about just the approach that people can sort of sense, I think, mm-hmm. that, you know. You, you you told a full... It was a really long story. I hope it wasn't it, too boring. It, it, no. <laughs> I just... It, it, Wait, a, you and I are not going to be the judges. Incredibly yeah, self-absorbed. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> But there, there's, there's. I wonder now, you know, as you look back there, I'm just going to, a couple questions I want to ask. Okay. And then we'll wrap up. Uh, you know, how how do you connect now to joy? I mean, where do you, where do you find joy in your life? How do you, hmm. how do you do that? You know, I've just been through a really difficult little period in my life. I mean, a really challenging kind of business thing, um, which has made joy a rare commodity not only for me but anybody around me um <laughs> but i uh you know i absolutely just i mean i adore my family mm-hmm. and you know going on bike rides and and yeah you know just spending time doing things going on holidays together even if they're just you know little weekend aways yeah. 
I mean that that stuff is 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 treasure for yeah. me. Well, I remember too that, that that time we were that you know a few weeks ago or whenever it was we were talking a month ago, um, and you were telling me about your trip through Southern Utah. Oh, uh, I right. mean that there's something resonated in that conversation we oh. had as you're talking about it because I'm talking about my my experiences in Southern Utah in the desert mm. and I could see the look in your eyes. I mean I see it again mm. right now. It came right back. You know it's always funny on I say yeah nobody else can see this but yeah, but no, no, I can see what right. I can see that look on your face and oh. I go I I get that 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 moment of somehow connecting to something so much bigger than than me it's you know, magical yeah yeah and, and just, that's kind of like that that you know how do i connect to my joy but how do i connect to that zen zone within me and that's what i see in your face when you describe this so cool on so many levels because we did that you know 89 then went off on 12 yeah. and then meandered and it was just me and my wife road tripping together like we used to before we had kids listening to you know music and talking and then not talking and just looking and not having any and then you know suddenly i'd say hey let's look at this or she'd say hey pull over here and we'd we'd explore and oh it was just like you know it was a lovely reconnection but it was just childlike fun yeah of yeah. you know yeah Sounds beautiful. I've got no place to be today yeah. other than right here in this spot. And it's a great big world, yeah. you know? And yeah. yeah. All right, last question before we wrap it up. So I, I, we, we talked about this over the phone. So yeah. a couple songs, if they yeah. would represent your life and or, you know life celebration however you want to look at them but yeah. something that has some meaning to you and you came you came up with them so I fast did, I, I know, did. I, I know. I, so <laughs> if you would if you'd talk mm. about the t- the two songs that you told me and then why they're important to you if you okay. take a few minutes and do that I, I mean and I have to say this I, there there are there are loads of old Clapton. I mean I'm I love all sorts of music but fundamentally I'm an old rocker and mm. so you know um, there are lots of old claps and things, and I, you know, I I, I dig his kind of whole um, his whole thing. But the songs that I came up with were, were the Rolling Stones, "Give Me Shelter," um, and I think I. Th- yeah. I mean, isn't that what we're all looking for? Yes. Right? As soon as you said it out loud, I, I mean, I just, I resonated with it too. And, but I, I thought it fit. And you, and, and, the, and the, 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 you know, the, the passion and the kind of desperation and the, and the, you know, the, the, the driving guitar behind it that, you know, it's like, give me shelter and please do it fucking quickly because I'm dying out here. Yeah. You know? Yes, yeah. Um and and so um that one and then I I'm a huge Bobby Dylan fan and I I I could list a load of his songs but the song the song that will bring a tear to my eye is uh Simple Twist of Fate yeah. of Blood on the Tracks and um my my favorite album by of right. of Dylan's. It's hard. I mean, there are so many actually, but yeah. th- that one 
the timing and everything in my life was just carries so much weight. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. The simple twist of fate is such a simple <laughs> song, and it's so perfect. It's so profound, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's because this is how life works. Yeah. You know, and. Um, I just, I just think it that the the simplicity of how he's kind of distilled that 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 down and how he represents it, this relationship between this woman and yeah, and and his longing that maybe she pick him out again. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that song can make me cry even when I just I. There's something about it that just touches my soul. Yeah. There is a deep longing and belo- wanting to belong in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. <sighs> All right. Robert, thank you. I, I, know, <laughs> I know this was a lot, and I really appreciate you no, being willing to, to go through this today. It's a, it's a beautiful opportunity, and um, we'll, we're going to get together again. And uh, I, I should mention that we were talking about beforehand that um, in December, we're, our goal is to uh, Brent and Brett and Robert, myself, and and maybe uh, Corey will get together and and do a bozo roundtable. That uh, sounds like fun. Providers, it's so, four bozos. Yeah, four bozos. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, um, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on this week, and uh, we Honestly, will go out. I, 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 the pleasure's mine. Thank you for inviting okay. me and yeah. and being. So patient with my <laughs> you're, you're, my long t- <laughs> epic tale. It's, a, it's an epic worth telling. All right, we'll go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a good week.